Number one slide that every investor spends time on is the team slide. Hmm. Who are the founders? Who hmm. are these people? The number two slide is the um, business model. Hmm. Like, how are you going to make money? Hmm. Um, and after that, it goes down very significantly. So all those slides about this is going to be a giant market in five years. What I tell people to do in their presentation is to focus around the funding window and, hmm. and what you're going to achieve. You should have a slide in there that shows in five years it's going to be a big market, but that doesn't matter. The more important slide is what do you, what's your business model? What's your operational plan for the next 12 to 18 months that is going to get you into the market? Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, uh, the serial entrepreneur that has started several businesses and grown them to seven and eight figure companies, as well as the CEO and founder of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have another great guest on the podcast, and this is an expert episode, so even even more special, which is Martin, mm -hmm. and I think it's Tobias, is that how I say the last name? Yep. Absolutely. All right. So Martin is going to uh, share a little bit, um, everything about money. So money is money is always important to startups, always a question on uh, startups, minds or small businesses. So how do you raise money? What investors are looking for? How to do a pitch? What are some companies that get invested in and other companies that don't get invested in? How to talk with authority to investors and whatever else we happen to dive into as the podcast goes on. So with that, welcome onto the podcast, Martin. Thanks for having me, Devin. So maybe before we dive into the topics that I just ran through, give everybody just a quick intro on yourself and kind of your background and why you're such an expert on this episode or on this topic. Um, well, um, you know, I, I guess it's because I've just been doing it a long time. You know, I'm one of these serial entrepreneurs who started my first entrepreneurial thing at six years old. I had a Kool-Aid stand outside my house, which was near the University of Florida. I saw a business opportunity because everybody on Sundays would walk to the football games from the parking lot past my house. I'm like, wow, I could make money. And I got hooked on entrepreneurship and um, I've started a bunch of companies, been CEO of three of them. And I've also been on the investor side. I've been a venture partner at Ignition Partners, which is a $2 billion fund out of Seattle. I'm a limited partner in 12 funds. I've raised over $500 million for my own companies, including two IPOs. Mm. And I've invested in over 150 companies uh, as an angel investor or a venture investor. So I've been on both sides of it. And mm. uh, recently, sort of in the last six months, I've decided to go back and focus on um, angel investing and investing with my friends to add value uh, to startups. Because frankly, you know, personally, I like the early stage, the sort mm. of, you know, first three or four people under 50 employees, because that's where all the fun is. Um, that's where people are willing to take risks. Mm. Um, that's where you can get better returns financially. Um, mm. And I just really enjoy working uh, with startup founders and, uh, you know, adding any value uh, that I can. And I've been through the cycle quite a few times. One of the things I've seen recently is there's a lot of people jumping in in every cycle, you know, near the top. Um, but I've been through the downturn of the dot-com bust. I've been through the bust of clean tech and a couple of mm. other cycles. And um, that perspective can be helpful uh, a lot of times to young entrepreneurs as well. 
No, and I think that, you know, I, I was smiling and almost kind of reflecting because a lot of different uh, type of job, but a lot of what, the reason I started Miller IP Law was for the same thing. I like to work with the startups and small businesses, the ones that there's just an extra layer of excitement of, hey, we're doing something new, something that, you know, we find exciting. They, you know, they're excited about it. They want to share, they want to build. And it's just kind of adds that extra layer that's, you know, enjoyable and fun as opposed to when you work with a bigger business, you know, they're a little bit more, they've established themselves. They know what they're doing. They, you know, they have their products and this is kind of building on what they've done rather than starting something new. So I think that that, you know, I, I share the same level of excitement that you do on a lot of that um, from a different perspective. So now with that, now that we've uh, talked a little bit about you, let's talk a little bit about the what we want to talk about in the experts episode, which is now how do we go and raise money, right? So I always like to joke, but I think there's a lot of truth to it, that startups always have more things to spend money on than money to spend. They're always in kind of that conundrum of, can, should I spend right. it on new should I spend it on new equipment? Should I spend it on intellectual property? Should I spend it on development and R&D and software? And should I do independent contractors? And so they've got, all, and you know, not to mention a building and facility. So they've got all these demands on it. They really want to make a go of it. They, they need to, ha you know, they'll have to have some money and yet there isn't ever enough. So you're always kind of bootstrapping and figuring that out. So with that, with always having those demands on money, give us a little bit of insight. What is kind of the ways that investors can start looking at raising money, how they might want to raise money and what their options might be? Well, uh, I've looked at this from both sides. And frankly, the constraint of not having enough money um, is a good one because mm. then you have to make choices. And you're forced to make uh, choices and to decide between relative probabilities and relative options, uh, which is a good thing. You know, in the dot-com boom, and even in some startups that I see now, when they become overfunded, these companies that raise $100 million, if you take the money pressure off and you start buying Herman Miller chairs and stuff like that, all of a sudden mm. you're WeWork. And, um, you know, it's, it, it can be a bad uh, incentive. Um, if you have too much money. So frankly, I think having uh, constrained money is a, is a good thing. Um, the way I think about it as an investor and the way I've always thought about it as a CEO is that I always want to raise basically twice as much money as I think I need for mm. the next logical milestone in my business. And if mm. you think about, I don't know if you're a poker player, I'm a poker player as well. And mm. um, poker is a game of incomplete information. You know, you have two cards, you have no idea what anybody else has, you have no idea what's going to come, and you have to make a decision to put money to work, given the incomplete information, mm. and you put some money in, you get more information, then you make another decision, and startups are exactly the same way. Uh, you have an idea, um, you might have some savings yourself, you might have your friends and family give you a little bit of money, you have to decide, given the money that we have, how much information can I buy, <laughs> you know, knowledge about, is this a good idea? Do customers want it? All the important things. And, um, you know, what's the most efficient way to get that money, to get that information. And the, but the real key to raising money is to ask the right questions that can be answered within your funding window. Um, mm. A startup, one of the things a lot of startups make a mistake on is you know, I talked to one yesterday and he's like, you know, we have this five-year plan and we think in five years, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm not giving you five years worth of money. Mm. What are you going to answer in the next year? Mm. <laughs> and how yeah. does that move the story forward? 
So investors are willing to take risks if they know what questions are going to be answered given the amount of money. And the reason I always tell people to put a budget together and try to raise twice as much is because things always go wrong. <laughs> so, um, you know, let's say you are um, development stage and you haven't written your product, um, but you and you think that uh, you you can get a thousand customers for a consumer product. Um, okay. How much is it going to cost to build the MVP and get those thousand customers? If that's a million dollars, raise $2 million. Mm. Um, but, you know, define the objectives of the financing round. And uh, I see that as a common mistake a lot of startups make is that they don't define for investors what they hope the, the main two or three questions they hope to answer with this funding round. Mm. I see a lot of pitch decks which say we're going to use it for general corporate purposes. Well, what does that mean? You know, beer parties, <laughs> salary is that a pay increase? Salary. So they're like, they're like, you know, we've been we we've been working without pay, so we're going to start paying ourselves. I go, that's good for you, but as an investor, how does that to answer the question of is this a good business? Do customers want to buy it? Um, does can you build the product? Mm. Um, you know, the key questions in a startup is, um, you know, have you identified a gap in the market? Um, is there a product? Is there a, a product that can be built to fulfill a customer need? And then will customers buy it? And can you reach those customers at a cost-effective way? Um, and then the, the question after that is: Can you scale uh, acquiring those customers in a cost-effective way? Those in any startup, and they come in normal, you know, chunks. And so when you're raising money, you should say, okay, what? stage am I at? What chunks am I going to answer? And you, you do not try to answer any question that takes you more than a year or 18 months to answer. Um, yeah, and I like and I think that, a no, five year fishing expedition. And I like that because I think Go that ahead. even as a startup, you're not, I think life in general is hard enough to figure out where you're going to be at in five years. And then you take the di di dynamics of a startup and where it's likely, and it's going to be near impossible to really know where you're going to be at in five years, unless you're so niche and except exception of the exception to the rule. And so I, I like the idea of really what you should be doing is doing more bites. I don't know, sizable chunks of saying now the next year, 18 months, this is what we're going to spend it on. This is what we're going to accomplish. This is how we're going to use the money. Now I want to ask a couple of questions on that. They kind of come up, but you know, they come up with uh, people I work with in that one is on, you know, so let's mm -hmm. say you are in startup mode, right? So you're a startup, a small business, you have a great idea, you maybe have a product development a bit, and you've been bootstrapping it. and you can show that, you know, hey, we have a plan, here's the next 12 to 18 months. And oh, by the way, I've never taken a salary. And I've never taken, you know, I've never taken a dime out of the business. And I'm funding this as a side hustle. And if I go to investors and say, hey, part of what I want to do is I want to give myself a salary so I can work on this full time. Is that a pro or a con or an indifferent to an investor in the sense that they say, well, I don't want all my money going towards a salary because then it's not going towards product development. Or they can argue, on the other hand, if you're not, if you're only working on this as a side hustle, we're never going to get it done and it's going to die in the vine. So how do you kind of, what do you think is you're going into and talking with investors? How do you address that? Uh, as an investor, uh, I always want to see the company's expenses be fully funded. Mm. I can't tell you how many uh, companies I've seen early stage that say we're profitable, you know, on $50,000 a month of revenue. Mm. And I go, are you paying yourself? And they say, no. 
And I go, well, then you're not profitable. <laughs> you're, yeah. you're, you, th th this is not a real business. You cannot scale that business. So mm. um, as an investor, I want to see all the expenses in there. And um, I, I do not want to see people part-time. I just passed on a company yesterday where, um, you know, the CEO was paying themselves and the developer was an outsourced uh, contractor. And um, it was primarily a, develop, a technology company building technology and the technology employees were not employees of the company. Mm. And um, he, he gave me a budget which assumed that they remained contractors. Hmm. And I said, well, then I'm not investing in the people that are building the core asset that you say is valuable. I can't fund the company. So, mm. you know, I want to see the salaries in there and I want to see them fully burdened. I do want to see them, you know, uh, reasonable um, you know, every time I take a job as a CEO, you know, I pay myself less than a normal CEO because you're getting, um, you know, stock options, uh, but you have to be paid something. And, um, you know, that's one area to look at as an investor is, you know, are they under pricing um, any of the expenses? And, and at some point you have to pay everybody what they're worth. Or, you know, and if you can't afford to pay people based on the revenue, you don't have a business. Hmm. So, no, and I think that's, and I think that that, I like that answer. And that's kind of where I always fall is, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to show this is what it, it takes to get it done, then show what it takes to get it done. And if you're showing that we're not going to take a salary for the next year and a half, well, either you're not going to really be invested in and working on it because you're going to be, doing your full-time job and side hustle. And then to your point, if we don't even have the key players that we can afford to pay them, they're not going to stick around for very long. So one other stick question. Around. Oh. And I, I will never fund anybody that's doing something as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, it, things might start as a side hustle, but if I fund somebody, this has to be their only hustle. You know, one mm -hmm. of my themes is that, you know, the founders have to be really committed. I just funded these guys, three guys, uh, two weeks ago. And um, it's a GPT-3 email client. And the guy told me a story. The first time he found this GPT-3 uh, client, he and his two co-founders stayed up for three days drinking Diet Coke and didn't sleep and built the MVP in mm. three days hmm. of no sleep. And I'm like, those are guys I want to fund. Mm. Those are guys who are working, you know, 24 hours a day. They didn't ask for salaries, nothing. They just, they just did it. And, um, you know, now what they wanted was money so that they could quit their and do what they loved and would were doing on the side for free full time. <laughs> oh. No, and that's certainly a convincing story. And I think that and we'll address in just a minute of how to talk authentically. I did have one more question before we kind of move on to the net or another topic, mm -hmm. which is. So you talk about friends and family around, which is oftentimes when you're wanting to get starting, if you can't necessarily, you're not ready to go investors, you're not at that stage or something of that nature, you'll go to either dip into your personal savings, maybe mm -hmm. use a credit card. And if you can't do that, or that's insufficient, you'll go to friends and family, say, hey, I've got a great idea. You'll go pitch them and they'll come on board. Now, as an investor, and you know, as you're going out seeking money, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And here, I'll give you the two arguments or things that I hear as to when people ask a question on both sides. And the one side they're saying, you know, 
friends and family, I don't want to go pitch them. I don't want to burden them. I don't want to have their, their money on the line, so to speak. So if this goes bad, I don't, I don't, when I see them at Christmas or Thanksgiving dinner, I don't have to worry about, you know, did I get them their money back? And yeah, on the other hand, some of the times I hear is, you know, getting friends and family and money around is beneficial to to show to investors in the sense that they know, no, you're, you've got a lot of skin in the game because you don't want to or fail when you go to Christmas or Thanksgiving and you don't want to let the family know. So how do you view that? Or how do you, you know, what's a way to, a way to reconcile or view that? Uh, I view it as the latter uh, one. If I see an entrepreneur who has not been able to convince anybody, including his parents, to or her parents to put money in before me, that's a bad sign. Mm. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I want to see their money in, I want to see their time in, I want to see, you know, some other people. And, you know, as a professional investor, um, you know, I don't want to be the first money in. Um, mm. I want to be the second money after, you know, some amount of sweat equity from the founders and or you know, angel investments or friends and family investments. I mean, every company that I fund, you know, has had 50, 100, $200,000 of investment before I see it. Um, mm. I'm very rarely write the very first check uh, because if you have an idea and you can't convince even your friends mm. <laughs> or your family to give you money, it's probably not a very good idea. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Now, I'll ask the, the flip side. Let's say you, you've you been able to bootstrap it or you don't have to go to friends and family. Should you go to friends and family first? Or if you bootstrapped it to enough of a level, should they just go right to investors? It depends on what they've done, um, you know, and, and it depends on your balance sheet. Um, you know, second and third time entrepreneurs who've made a little bit of money can bootstrap something themselves and don't need friends and family. I've funded guys like that, but I mean, they did put a much, a lot of their own personal money into it before they did it. I mean, friends and family are not necessary. Um, but, uh, you know, you have, before you go to professional investors, at least for me, I, I don't know if you've seen it. There's, there's a graph that like, if the bottom left were, I wrote my idea on a napkin, and the top right is the thing IPO'd, there's stages all in between. And the stage where a professional investor is going to want to look at it is usually after you have an MVP, mm. after you have had, this is for a software idea. I mean, this mm. isn't, doesn't work for retail or maybe some other things. Um, after you've had half a dozen to 10 customers mm. and you've done some market validation, and so between MVP, first handful of customers and market validation and the napkin, you know, if you can do that without any financing, great. If you have to take a little friends and family, fine. Mm. But, you know, the professional investor is unlikely to take that pre MVP risk mm. okay. unless you're a second or third time founder. Which then almost is you're investing as much on, hey, they've been successful, they built successful companies exactly. in the past and made an exit, therefore it gives you some credibility, which kind of segues into it. So I'm going to let you direct a little bit, but a couple of the other things that I think would be interesting is, so you go into a pitch and one thing is you want to be, or talk authentically to the investors. And, you know, so maybe speak a little bit about do's and don'ts of what matters in a pitch, what doesn't matter in a pitch. Should you have a long, you know, here's all of a 
And I'll, I'll say the thing I don't think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as an example, things that you don't need to go do in a pitch and say, now this market is a $33 billion market. And if we just capture 1% of the market and that's your whole plan is all we got to do it. Now, we don't know how we're going to capture 1%, but think about it. We only have to capture 1%. And generally, the feedback I've heard from different investors is, you know, generally they want to hear how you're going to capture the market. They don't care if it's a $5 billion or $50 billion, but how do you go and capture the size of the market that matters to what your investment is? But maybe give us a bit of an idea of do's and don'ts and what matters in a pitch and what doesn't. Um, there's really only two or three things that matter to me in a pitch. And yep. it's actually interesting. You can look at, there's a study online. People can look up the doc send pitch deck mm. statistics presentation. Mm. And, you know, lots of people use pitch deck or, or, or doc send to, to promote their pitch decks. They've got statistics on what slides investors pay attention to hmm. um, and percentage of time spent. The number one slide that every investor spends time on is the team slide. Hmm. Who are the founders? Who hmm. are these people? The number two slide is the um, business model. Hmm. Like, how are you going to make money? Hmm. Um, and after that, it goes down very significantly. So all those slides about this is going to be a giant market in five years, what I tell people to do in their presentation is to focus around the funding window and, mm. and what you're going to achieve. You should have a slide in there that shows in five years, it's going to be a big market, but that doesn't matter. The more important mm. slide is what do you, what's your business model? What's your operational plan for the next 12 to 18 months that is going to get you into the market? Um, what is, and, and what is your product and what is the advantage your product has in the market that you believe will get you the first uh, traction in the customers? Um, and then the reason the team slide is important and what everyone and you, what you should spend most of your time talking about is why you, why is this personal problem to you? Why is, do you have an insight that other people don't have? And why can you deliver this thin edge of the wedge that's going to get these first customers? Mm. Um, and, you know, what is your plan uh, to do that? And how have you done that in the past? Um, so the most important thing for CEOs to talk about in their presentation is, you know, themselves, you know, why this is a personal problem, what their plan is for the next 12 to 18 months, and what are the two or three questions they're going to answer with the investor money that is going to mean they have a more valuable company 12 to 18 months from now. Now, it's not going to be the end, but it is going to be something which can then either raise more money or do something else. Um, that is going to be useful. So all the slides, if you talk about anything in any of your slides, that's a partner presentation and these quadrants and we're up here and to the right and five years from now, here's this hockey stick. I don't care about any of that. I don't care about financials beyond 18 months. I care about who are you? What is your approach to the market? Why is it going to win? And why are you and your co-founders uniquely positioned to execute that uh plan so let me and i know and i think that is incredibly insightful and helpful now let me ask maybe one follow-up question so let's say i am a solo guy a startup guy is that 
and so you know i don't have a team yet and maybe i'm i'm saying hey to get the product developed i don't really need a team so for whatever reason they haven't started a building team they have a great idea maybe they've implemented it started to reduce it to practice but they haven't built that team would you suggest hey before you go in that you should start building that team bringing on additional people should you go to an investor kind of give me an idea because you know we get you know whether it's one guy or a couple guys you know a couple friends that are hey we've got a great idea one guy's a marketing and sales one guy's a product development or the coder and they get to work on it but they've never really spent time to build that team when should they focus on building that team should it be from the start right before we go to the investors or can you do it without that full team it depends on the stage mm. uh if you have not built your mvp yet mm. and have not gotten your first customers um sometimes all you need is a developer and a ceo that has business experience that can get the customers you mm. don't need an enterprise salesperson uh, mm. but if you have your mvp you have your first customers and you're raising money to really get the next 50 customers, mm. then you better know who your what your sales strategy is. Either mm. you have a VP of sales or a director of sales, or you you know have a, a, a recruiting process for them, or you are raising the money to get that person, and that's something you want from an investor is a referral mm. to build the sales channel. I looked at a company you know yesterday, uh, four years in development. Um, great technical founders, CEO who was able to get the first 10 customers, absolutely no enterprise sales experience. The hmm. product works, but they have no idea how to build an enterprise sales team. So they're raising a round of financing. So the, the question to answer in this round of financing is, can we take this product, which we built for the first couple customers and get another 50 people to buy it? Hmm. And, um, and so in that case, the objective you're funding is hiring a sales team and scaling up sales hmm. and, and, and investors will do that. Um, you know, investors that specialize in that, um, stage. So hmm. it really depends on the stage and the questions you're trying to answer. Um, you should have a plan. You don't have to have all the people, um, but you should be very, uh, open and honest and forthright with the investor into as far as who you know you don't have on the team that you believe will be critical to help you answer those questions which you're going to spend the money on you don't have to have everybody but you have to identify if you've got a hole if this is all about you know consumer marketing and you don't have a consumer marketing person you're like the reason i need money is because i have to hire a consumer marketing person you know, and, um, you know, this is why I need the money and investors will either say, you know, great, you have enough traction and I love the product enough now that I'll fund that answering of that question and try to recruit someone or not. Um, but you should not oversell your capacity. You should be very honest about what you do have and what you don't have. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, um, typically that's what I see is, a business person and a technical founder. Um, but you also need a salesperson, a marketing person, customer support, all of these things. So, and no, I think that's certainly a very insightful and helpful as well. Now, one question I'd almost follow up on that is, you know, it seems like some people are a bit reticent to point out the flaws in their business, right? They don't want to point out that they, 
you know, and it's, it's human nature in the sense that, hey, we don't want to point out of our weaknesses or things we don't do well. And yet, on the other hand, if you don't point them out, then, it, you know, investors are very astute. They're going to likely be able to figure that out. And so should you, if you have, whether it's flaws, and I say flaws, but let's say you don't have the right person on your team, but you, as you're pointed out, this is what we're doing with the invest, investment dollars. We're going to get that one person, that key person we're missing. Or, hey, we've got a great technology, but we need to upgrade, and I'm just making it up, we need to upgrade our servers or technology to really compete. Mm-hmm. Or whatever that flaw is, it's, it's as long as it's fixable and addressable, should you just hit that head on and, and tackle it? Should you skirt over it and wait and see if the investors, you know, catch on to it? Or how do you address flaws, you know, things that need to be fixed or better or made better in the business? You should never skirt over it. And you should be as specific with the use of funds as you can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you have to increase your server capacity, you tell them that you don't say general corporate purposes. You say mm-hmm. we need to buy servers or we need to, you know, hire these people and that people. The more specific you can be, um, you know, about how you're going to spend the money and also the help that you need. Um, you know, most investors um, that are engaged are going to help you with recruiting, are going to help you with business development, um, you know, connections. And, you know, what you should be doing is choosing investors that give you more than just money. Mm. Um, you know, if you need to talk to somebody at Microsoft and the VC used to work at Microsoft and has a great Microsoft network, um, you should tell them that. <laughs> you should say, the reason I would rather take your money than the other guy's money is because I really need a connection at Microsoft. Um, the, the more you can uh, tell the investor what you need besides money and the more that fits with what they can deliver, the better the partnership is going to be. No, and I, I think that that, you know, certainly makes sense of, hey, this is why I, I come to you or I'm choosing you. And, you know, and I, in some sense, you know, letting the investor know I'm not didn't choose you at random or I'm not just pitching to everybody who will open the door. But no, I have a reason why you make sense and why you fit and not just mean, need money just for the sake of money. But, hey, you can offer this. And I think that your involvement will also be, help to build the company is, I think, an, an, an important thing to hit on. Well, I've asked I've peppered it, you. It, it really oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, it really, it really is. And the best investors, that's what they do. Um, they, they, you know, know that it, it's a team effort. Um, yeah. And the other thing, you know, I, I ask all of my CEOs to tell me a story about a time that they failed at something. And what, if they can't, if they can't think of anything they failed, I, I everybody's failed at something and, you know, they're lying. <laughs> um, and if they, um, you know, talk about the failure and blame it on mm. somebody else, you know, another company, the economic environment, the pandemic, whatever, I also pass because that person doesn't take responsibility um, mm. for their own actions. Um, and, uh, but if they have a convincing story of where they learned something, mm. where they are now smarter because of the failure. Uh, One of the companies I invested in um, is in the HR uh, space and they were selling uh, HR software to um, enterprise customers. Hmm. In the pandemic, they were doing about a million dollars a month in in the pandemic started. Their revenue went to zero in one month. Uh, Hmm. All of the um, um, HR, all of the enterprises basically said, we're not hiring. We don't know what to do. You know, we're, we're basically not hiring. 
And so the CEO had a choice. She could have said, oh, well, whoops, you know, here's, you know, we're done. Mm. But she pivoted and she started selling um, uh, HR interview, uh, practice interviews to um, high value candidates like uh, expensive coders and things like that. Pivoted the business around to be services for people looking for jobs and looking to change careers. And within two months, she was doing more revenue direct to consumer than she was from HR companies. Hmm. Um, Here is a CEO who uh, has proven that they can pivot and respond and not throw up their arms when things happen. And uh, things are always going to happen in startups. Things are going to come out of left field like a pandemic. Things are going to, you know, that first customer who strung you along is not going to sign the deal. And what you want is CEOs and management teams that um, are resilient and, um, you know, know how to keep moving um, when disaster strikes. And they have to be able to explain how they did that in the past Mm. um, because it's going to happen in the future. No, and I completely agree. Whether it's, you know, people, whether it's COVID, whether it's 2008 with the housing crash, whether it's a dot-com bubble, whether it's anything, you're going to have things that are unexpected and you've either got to figure out how to or to be profitable and build a business in spite of that, or you're never going to be able I think, a long-term business. Now, one question, and we have a lot more questions and we're getting towards the end of the podcast, but I'll ask sure. you what my final question, which is, so if, if you are a business, let's say you are building it, and you've had to pivot, you know, how do, how do you, and you're, and you're now, you're saying, or let me rephrase, you're going to have to pivot, or you think you're going to have to pivot. And yet now you're going to have to go back to the investors and say, what we had planned on what we were going to do just isn't working COVID hit or whatever it is, is that, you know, how do you approach an investor and say, we going to have to change what we sold you on isn't what we're going to be able to do how, you know, we got to pivot, we have to adjust. How do you kind of raise that issue with investors that have already given you money based on something that you've already sold, you know, you've already sold them on an idea. You do it as soon as you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, cause the whole point is, um, you know, I started a company once I raised $5 million uh, I spent a million and a half building a product that I thought would work. I realized it would not work. Hmm. I immediately went right when I meet it, rather than keeping banging my head, I immediately went to the investors and said that, that, that didn't work. Um, and I don't think it's going to work. And they hmm. said, okay, you have three and a half million dollars left. I go, do you want your three and a half back? Or do you want me to try something else? Hmm. And they said, we want you to try something else. And, uh, but you have to have that conversation. You have to be honest with them. If you really I mean, you're, they're not going to know you, the CEO has to say, um, you know, this is what's going on. Um, and, um, if you have made a, first of all, before you make a pivot, it, you get buy-in from the investors. Cause if you pivot without telling them, they're going to be really pissed off. Mm. Um, most investors will understand and that's what they want. Mm. Um, you know, one of the most famous stories was, um, Hotmail, um, you know, Hotmail was, I forget their original pitch. They went around the Valley pitching. I think it was advertising or something, but it, it turned out that cloud-based email, which is what Hotmail was the first one, was the real um, product there, not whether an advertising platform. And um, so it turned out that they, that just simply doing your email in the cloud was that people they didn't really want the ads targeted at them, you know, because of their email context. 
So, um, you know, there are, most startups pivot, uh, but, you ha- but the CEO has to be honest with the, the, the um, investors and tell them as soon as he knows and get their buy-in uh, on the pivot. And usually they'll let you keep going because that's what they did. They invested in you to find the right way and to respond as the market goes and to, you know, change the product as appropriate. Very, very few startups that I've invested in ended up making money on the plan that I funded in the beginning. It's usually some combination pivot, some something that, that where they got smarter over time. And um, what came out was actually better than what they thought because they'd engaged in the market for some time. So this is not unusual, but CEOs that um, try to hide that, um, you know, I can think of Theranos, I can think of, you know, there's a lot of companies where the CEO, when the thing isn't working, are, end up lying to the investors. That's mm. a very, very bad uh, end. No, and I, and I, I completely agree. And I, I mean, you can get examples of Netflix. Everybody knows Netflix. Netflix, first of all, started by selling DVDs in the mail. And sure. then, they, then they shifted to, you know, or DVDs in the mail. And then they had to say, well, we can't do this forever. We're going to have to pivot to streaming. And then they go from streaming to subscribe. I mean, they had to do it. And you take, as an example, Uber, which is another big company. They started with black taxi, or, you know, black, you know, cab drivers, the uh, black cabs yeah. that are the luxury the cabs. And then they said, okay, we've got to, we've got to shift because we're getting outdone by, you know, some of the other competition. And so they shifted their business model to what it is today of now doing ride sharing. And I think that to your point, there's going to be those pivots. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And, and delivering food and all these other things, uh, which became opportunities as they grew and, and as they, they, they added. Um, And, and that's what you want. You, you, you want the CEO to keep going after the growth areas, even if the first area that he thought of was not, um, you know, where it ended up, you know, being. Yeah. So we could chat. I'm sure this is an area I find fascinating and fun to chat about, but unfortunately we're reaching towards the end of the podcast and there's always more things I want to talk about than time to talk about them. But if people wanted to reach out to you, whether they want to pitch you for an investment that you qualifies for what you're doing, they want to pick your brain about a little bit more about how to set themselves up for success hear about your the rest of your advice and your story they want to be your next best friend any or all of the above they want to reach out to you what's the best way to contact or connect with you uh just go to my website uh, and that's incisive.vc i-n-c-i-s-i-v-e.vc uh, i post all my themes up there what i invest in the kind the stage i like to invest in um you know there's a contact form and um, I would love to hear from any entrepreneurs that are incredibly passionate about a personal problem that they've had that they think lots of other people share and they want to create a profitable, fast growing company uh, doing that. So I would love to talk to any entrepreneurs and other you know, VCs that have uh, companies that want additional financing. Um, I'm very excited uh, about everything related to technology. All right. Well, I definitely invite everybody to take you up, reach out, check out the website, get in contact. And uh, who knows, maybe somebody will uh, have the next great idea and you'll be the one that found them. So, well, thank you again, Martin, for coming on. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, if you're a listener and you uh, are either you're an expert and you want to share your expertise or you're a a startup founder or co-founder and you want to share your journey, feel free to go to inventivejourneyguest.com. Apply to be on the podcast. Love to have you. If you're a listener and you make sure to click subscribe so you get notifications as all the new awesome episodes come out. 
And last but not least, if you ever need help with patents and trademarks, feel free to go or reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Thank you again, Martin. It's been a pleasure and appreciate you having me on. Thank you, Devin. Happy holidays.